Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for Concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-centered leader in confessional broadcasting. Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. I'm Pastor Sean Smith. I'm your host today, and I'm here with my cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians today. Nice. The usual wow. cohort. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Pastor Jonathan Fisk uh, is part of that cohort, as is Mr. Peter Slayton and Pastor Peter Ill. And we are gathering here to continue to push through the apology of the Augsburg Confession, that defense of that Augsburg Confession, which stands faithful and true as the Lutheran Confession of Faith. And uh, the apology really lays out exactly why that is so true so well. And uh, we are in articles, what, what is it now? I don't know, seven and eight? Seven, seven, eight. seven yes, and sir. eight. Uh, on the church, of the church. And uh, we began that last week and we took a look at several issues there. We talked about the visible, invisible church, things like that. Um, we'll continue pushing forward as uh, really what this does is then becomes the, the article that we spent over a year on the article of justification, article four, uh, which is the article that the church stands or falls on. This really becomes, as we talked about last week, that article in action, where we see it played out uh, as Christ brings it to us in action in the life of the church. Brothers, great to be gathered together again with you guys this week. Yeah, absolutely. You okay there? Bill? I am. Yeah. I know they the window's put, big and they, they got stuff out there. They shouldn't put my back to a window here in the studio. There's things happening behind us. What's going on? And, and I'm nosy. <laughs> the thing I would like to just pull forward from last week's conversation is this distinction between the church as outward fellowship of rights, outward fellowship of words with actions that Jesus gave us, and the inward fellowship of faith, and that in this outward fellowship of rites, you have all manner of people being gathered by these events, by word and sacrament ministry, but that the church, properly speaking, is those who believe and trust in these things. And there's going to be an overlap. You're going to have people that don't actually believe that are in that outward fellowship. That doesn't mean the outward fellowship is bad. It means it's what we see, right? And then, But then the, the, the faith of the believer is what really makes us that elect church of God, a glorious forever, immortal, invisible, all that. Yeah. Can I take a shot at Reese? restating that please the world wants to look at the church and see a what external rights words and words and actions that are attached together but jesus looks at the church and sees a who and it's not just a what and so when we talk about the church we commonly want to talk about what it is and what it does, but Jesus comes to us, and by those words and actions that he provides, Jesus makes the church a who, um, the people of God, chosen, elect, and glorious. And the body of Christ, as we're going to get to talking about here, which is a rather unique way of speaking about it. It does put a spin on when you say, I want to go to church, doesn't it? I mean, isn't that totally different? meaning that we normally use when we say I want to go to church? It's it's not that it's wrong for us to say that, but when we phrase it that way, it does make it sound like the only the outward fellowship is 
right. the church. Or yeah. even just the building. Yeah, the building. <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. Well, and we have this uh, common problem, right, uh, that, that manifests itself in different ways, especially when we understand, you know, going to church. And, and there are certainly several folks who are part of that outward fellowship that that think they have hope on the last day simply because they're in that church building every Sunday and sitting in the pew. Of course, it has to be their pew, right? <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and, but, uh, you know, we have this, this struggle where, um, you know, when we identify it as simply the, the gathering together of believers, when we I, I identify it as the building and so forth, we have this struggle, but we talked about the what, and, and especially last week laid out well exactly the, the what of the church, what, what exactly defines the church. And we, we define that as what we commonly call the primary marks of the church, word and sacrament. When we see those, that's where the church is. And, uh, and that gives a lot of comfort when, when the church gathers in places where there aren't buildings, whether it be under persecution, as has happened in the history of the world and happens in parts of the world still today, or as you have uh, folks in military front lines and things like that, or just kind of gathered around a, a Humvee or something like that, uh, where, <laughs> where the word and sacrament is present. And there it works the who. Right there, Christ comes in action through these things, does justification and and makes and strengthens believers in him and guides us all the way to life everlasting, which is where we see that church truly manifest that that invisible now church becomes visible on that last day. Hmm. There's a. Uh, a line that comes from, oh, probably five or six decades ago of the church is a voluntary association of like-minded believers. Uh, and and that line is really not what we're talking about no, here at yeah. all. But it is something that lives kind of in, uh, in the collective consciousness of uh, American, especially North American sociology, as we talk about uh, the church and how she participates in, in the world. Uh, and it, it really speaks to that question of the church as a what. But here, like Peter was saying before, the church is the body of Christ. This is the people that Christ has called together. Uh, it's not a voluntary association of, of, of much. It's the chosen body of Christ that he has rescued from sin, death, and the devil and brought the forgiveness of sins to. As, as we're fleshing out the definition of church here, I think that's the body of Christ. Last week, we brought up uh, under paragraph five, I, I underlined this today because I couldn't remember where exactly we were starting. I was like, oh, that was a good thought. The church alone is called Christ's body, which Christ renews, sanctifies, and governs by his Holy Spirit. And I think it's important this that it's only the church that's referred to as Christ's body. It's not me as an individual. It's not the physical building. It's all of us together around word and sacrament that is Christ's body. And we have a tendency in our culture, especially like we started off this conversation, either associating it with the building or associating it solely with me. Church is located within me in some way and that I'm the one who determines what it is. But scripture and the confessions are clear. No, no, this, the body of Christ is actually these things together you take them apart, separate them from each other. You don't have the body of Christ anymore. You don't have church. You have something else. Well, and we talked some about last week about where we get this definition of word and sacrament being mm -hmm. the church. And uh, we, we gave some some helpful things on that. So go go check out the on-demand um, episode from last week for more on that. But, but I think it's helpful to talk about here too, because when we identify it as Christ's body, um, 
it it is inseparable and rather beautiful imagery that we understand that when Jesus is the word of God, right? That's how he's identified, especially mm-hmm. John chapter one makes this abundantly clear, clear, right? And then he also, especially St. Paul identifies, um, you know, uh, and makes clear as do the gospels that what we receive in the Lord's supper is his very body, right? And and so these things are, are inseparable from what the church is. And so if we start, you know, making it about, uh, as we see with especially American Christian churches, you know, making it about other things that we would call secondary marks of the church, they will be the, the fruits, uh, you know, as we talked about with the article of justification, the, 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 uh, the, the fruits of those things, the, the good works that flow forth from this, um, you know, if we start making it about missions and evangelism and, and, and all sorts of other things that get worked into identifying the church, then we're then we're we're not talking about the body of Christ anymore, and so that becomes a very dangerous and slippery slope um, if we orient the church towards these other things. There's a tendency to spiritualize that idea that we are the body of Christ to make it into <clears throat> excuse me like a, a purely I hate to use the word platonic that's such a big fancy way of talking a purely ephemeral spirally floaty maybe? mystical kind vague. of thing vague yeah right right yeah. as opposed to where where Paul really coins that language in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians. First, in in 1 Corinthians, uh, the body of Christ is the people who gather around the body of Christ to eat and drink it and discern the body of Christ in that bread and wine as a fellowship, as a fellow state of being. And then in Ephesians, he talks about there is one body, one faith, one Lord, like literally one body, the body of Christ, one baptism. Right, and so that there's uh, those visible marks that make us church that we talk about as Lutherans. They indeed are biblically what it means to be the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And without those things, two or three gathered can gather and do all they want. They're not really gathered in Jesus' name. And so that's the other thing when we talk about the the who versus the what. One of the dangers of the American Christian mindset is that it emphasizes the who to the detriment of the what. So if just a couple of Christians get together, hey, we're church now because we're you know hanging out. Well, no, no, it's not just anything Christians do. It's the, the, the being bound to the body of Jesus that nowhere does this happen more clearly individually and corporately that when bread is placed on your tongue and it's basically said, this is the body of Jesus, nom, nom, nom. And now you're one with him. Maybe that's impious me to say nom, nom, but you know, now you're one with him. That was my eating sound. That's all it was. So. <laughs> well, and I think, uh, I think this makes us rather different as Lutherans, especially in the way that we preach. At least it's different in how I preach. And and I get this feedback a lot of times that when I talk about these things, especially in my sermons, I'm constantly pointing us to exactly that body of Christ. Where where do you find your comfort in the midst of the tribulation? Go find it right there. It's at the altar right there for you. Receive that body. Be strengthened in the body that you are made fellowship with in that. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, due to a whole host of other influences, um, uh, and, and especially American Christianity, we've, we've become rather Catholic at the time of the Reformation and, and sometimes how we preach that, you know, some churches have the have the temptation to preach towards the good works and, and things of that nature, rather than finding those as the fruits of unity with that body and true faith. Pastor L, I think I cut you off. Um, Oh no! I don't okay. think you did. You, you raised your arms, and <laughs> I also had nothing like to were... say. I want to okay. distract us by saying that if you if you point to the Lord's Supper too much and too often, it's going to lose its special kind of 
nature. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. That was sarcasm for uh, those yeah. of was, our right. viewers who can't yeah. see the sarcasm. Yeah, there. We, they would also not radio, be able to see that Pastor Fisk has been signing Christmas cards this whole time, which is also viewers. distracting. There are I would no say. Christmas cards in front of me at all at this I moment. Also Pastor called Fisk, them what is the Eighth Commandment? Um, <laughs> there are no Christmas cards in front of me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nonetheless, though, uh, that, that's a that is an interesting point and, and a a challenge for the church because we are called to do these things regularly. Uh, in the case of prayer, to do it daily. In the case of receiving the sacrament, to do it often in remembrance of Christ, who has given us this gift. To regularly receive the gift of Christ's absolution, to hear God's word, and as we do these things, there comes a point where we say, "But if I do it all the time, it just doesn't seem special anymore." Uh, but the truth is that God's word works in us in a way that our feelings don't make the word work. The word does what it does. The sacrament does what it does. There are days when the Lord's Supper feels really special. And there are days when the Lord's Supper doesn't feel special, but thanks be to God, it does the same exact thing because it is still the body of Christ bringing together the body of Christ. Uh, Insert Pastor Fisk's nom 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 idea now. (laughs) And then we go on with that gift. If if we have all the feelings or not. Uh, and so it's bigger than feelings. And that is something to certainly celebrate. I think maybe that's what, Pastor Fisk, you were starting to get at, talking about the the mystical, ephemeral mm-hmm. view of church. It is very much an, an emotional mm-hmm. state where people are looking for that emotional state. And we're very clearly here in, in Scripture and the Confessions defining it as something other than that. And what we see in our culture today is very much that pursuit of, of an emotional thing. So like you said, Pastor Ill, about the Lord's Supper. Okay, I took the Lord's Supper, but I might walk away not actually feeling comforted. I could walk away feeling just as upset, just as frustrated, whatever sin I happen to be struggling with, whatever situation I'm going through, I walk away feeling the exact same way as I did walking up to the altar. I go to church and I hear the sermon, I hear my sins are forgiven in the absolution, and I feel the exact same way I did uh, when I walked in, as I walked out, I didn't have a mountaintop experience. I didn't sing a, a, a song, whether it's a hymn or otherwise, because we can do this with anything, that made me feel good, uh, that made me feel elevated or lifted up. And I begin to associate, well, the tendency is I associate those things with, I had church. Mm-hmm. Church was good. Church was really great today because I walked away feeling, insert whatever emotion you were hoping to feel, through that service, whether it's comfort, whether it's joy, whether it's whatever it is, um, and we and we associate that with church, and so that's that's another way that we fall into that error, fall off, you know, the other side of the horse, if you will, um, into seeking after those things as opposed to all this other stuff we've been talking about, which is amazing. It reminds me of what uh, what, what I think the major thing most people, whether they know it or not, judge anything by as postmodern Americans is whether it was fun. We don't always use that word, but it, it wasn't fun. And I catch myself asking my kids this all the time. Did you have fun? As if that really matters, right? As if that's sort of like a barometer for testing anything. But we, so to take that fun for a moment idea and then and put it with the, is it special? It's special because I have this fun slash enjoyment slash emotional lift up thing. But then take that word special and run it through the Bible. And, and the Bible almost never uses the word special, except it does. It uses it all the time. It, it We just translate it as the word holy instead. <laughs> and so 
So holy is the specialness of God, the unique and one-of-a-kind standardizing that God does. And in that sense, the word and the sacrament, the body and blood of Jesus in the altar, is always special because it is always unique, particular. We talked about the scale of particularity last week. Uh, God in a box right there in front of you. And the only way uh, that, that you cannot have any response to this in faith is that you either don't believe it or that life got a hold of you and you, and you missed it. You, you made me think there too, Peter, um, that the times you go up to the supper and you're, you're kneeling and I'm trying to be pious and then my kid... Kid, stop it. And then I've eaten and it's gone. Wait, wait. I wanted to like feel repentance. I needed that moment of meditation (laughs) so I could fully immerse myself in the experience. And instead I had to be a a sinful sinful father doing his vocation. Even at the rail, I said. Even there. Right. So if you get caught too much trying to pursue the experience, you're going to miss the true holiness that's there just because God has said it's there. Thinking back to what you were saying, Pastor Fisk, about asking your kids if, if this was fun or thinking about things being special makes me think about how Jesus speaks to uh, his church in scripture. Uh, When he says things like, take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself, Uh, the world will hate you because it hated me first. When Jesus says these things to his body, the church, it doesn't sound fun Mm -mm. and it doesn't sound special. It sounds like faithful suffering. And that is one of the things the church is called to do is to bear faithful and patient witness when everything around them seems to be going wrong, when the world hates them, because first and foremost, the world hates Jesus. Mm. And and we bear that in mind, too. Yeah, mm. I, I think it's the great sin of our time. Uh, and, and sin is selfishness. It's us turned in on ourselves. And so the great sin of our time is that rampant individualism, right? It, it has to be fun. It has to be special for me mm. rather than what is what is the object of what makes it special. It has to be Christ. It has to be the power of God who is working this because if it's for me, there's a whole host of biblical examples where there's absolutely nothing hopeful, comforting, joyful about anything that St. Paul goes through about I'm, I'm switching to the one year election or I have switched to the one year lectionary. And so this coming Sunday, I get to preach about John the Baptist sitting in prison and, uh, and, and, and you have Jesus who, who makes this great proclamation of the vindication of exactly what John had proclaimed and prepared the way for in Christ. Now does Jesus take John out of prison? No, we actually know what happens there. He gets his head chopped off and and he suffers a martyr's death. We face that at times. I pray that we don't face that ourselves and none of our listeners do, but we recognize that Christians do in the world. We face other persecutions. We face just trials and tribulations of our own sin and afflictions there. And it's not always fun. It's not always special. Even as I, as a pastor, proclaim the word of God from the pulpit on Sunday, I find myself, you know, distracted as I'm doing the work. Mm. Well, you know, how can this be special for the people that I'm, you know, if if we have that kind of enthusiasm bent of, I, I need to stir them up to to really feel into my sermon this week. I mean, it's not going to work if I myself am distracted. And so was, was that sermon fruitless? Well, no, when it's 
the object is Christ, his words, his proclamation, his victory. And that is the, the real beauty of word and sacrament. That becomes our object um, that, that is the what of the church. And it won't fail because of the power of God. And this is where the fact that it works without us is such wonderful comfort, right? So, and, and faith alone and, wait for it, justification by faith. Did we talk about that yet? Have we ever talked about justification here <laughs> I, in Conquer Matters? Twice. Okay, okay. So if the, the, the idea of faith alone is so powerful in that. So I go to church and I'm distracted as I get to church and I go into church and I try to be present, but I get distracted during church. I go for the supper and, and I tr- I want to be pious. And then I have the issue with, you know, I've got to reprimand a kid who's trying to drink the wine or whatever and stop him from doing it. And so I, I get mine and I go away and I, and I go out and I think, man, I missed the whole experience. But the thing is, God didn't miss me. Mm. Right. God went with me. And if I believe that the bread and wine is what Jesus says it is, then I can be comforted even later, knowing that he has touched me with his body to make me one with that body, part of his church, raising me up on the last day. And that is that's faith. Right. Is there emotion involved? Yes. But is it hinging on the emotion? No, it's hinging on the efficacy of the word to do what it says when it's present. Absolutely. Ah. Amen. Yeah, ah, yeah. We, we have the same tendency that we have in our justification. Our justification, we want to do something about us. We want to be a part of it in some way. We do the exact same thing with, with church. We want to make it about us and doing something about it in some because way. Because it's justification it. and action. Yeah. And it, yeah. well, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. exactly what you said. This is part of the scandal of our uh, hyper-individualism, but it's also ultimately just an effect of original sin. This is who we are. We want to be the center of everything. So we're going to do it with our justification. Let me get my works in there somehow. We're going to do it with church, whether it's make sure I'm in the right building, make sure I've got the the right trappings around it, or make sure I've got the right experience. One way or another, I'm finding a way to make sure that I'm inserting myself and how I do it into making it what it is. And and what happens when, you know, the the, the outward fellowship of church fails as it, as it happens. We see it in our own day and age mm-hmm. in, in American Christianity, all denominations are struggling with this. Um, and, and even we are in the Lutheran church, Missouri Senate of uh, shrinking church sizes, um, churches having to close, um, you know, when, when it has been centered on us and, and our work and, and our identification of church and the fruits that it produces and so forth, then, then we really are left without any hope but when it's centered on the pure word of God and his beautiful, holy sacraments, right? Then, you know, even though the outward fellowship may fail where those things are present, God has not failed to strengthen his true believers in that true faith. And that gives us a a lot of great hope and comfort as we recognize that oftentimes in this world, it often looks like evil is winning. It often looks like the world is triumphing over us, but we look to that sure promise of Christ where he does not fail and guides us all the way into life everlasting. We haven't even gotten to the reading today. Yeah. Was, <laughs> but it's a good conversation it about the church. It's and, a recap and, and of last week. Sometimes yeah. I wonder if if you're right in that you can have pure administration of the word and sacraments and still have a declining church, 
attendance or numbers. It's, it's quite possible to happen. And we shouldn't say that it's failed at that point. It's done its work of hardening sinners <laughs> in some cases. In other cases, you simply have a declining community where people just don't live there anymore. But I do have to wonder if some of the decline of the Western church isn't because it has ceased to gather around the thing which is given to gather us and has attempted to gather around all manner of other things, which like passing winds and rain showers and, and leaves in the grass, rise and fall and blow away, and we're left trying to find some other idol to put up to get us back together, and we just collapse one after the other, a bunch of dominoes falling down. And, you well, know, it can't take that too far, I don't think. But, but I think, I think, but I think you are, there is something there, because that's why you now have atheist churches <laughs> that exist <laughs> as a thing. And if you look at them, this you go do an internet search, they are out there, and their format of worship is almost identical to your American evangelical mega church format of worship. You have hmm. the inspirational singing, you have the inspirational message, there's even an offering that takes place. You know, all all of the pieces are there and they're simply gathering around fellowship or inspiration. And so like you said, they've hmm. ceased to gather around the things that God has given us to gather around and they're gathering around something else. And you don't even need God for that. Oh, look at that. Hmm. You can do this without God. I used to say to people, I can get 30,000 people to show up here on Sunday. We just got to have the Giants play the Bears and we'll be fine. Everyone will show up. You know? <laughs> well, except for the NFL is now facing declining uh, yeah, viewership as well. Yeah, that might have to do with some of the protests else. on the field and whatnot, but we're going to... But indeed, the church <laughs> is oriented break. around God's break. holy word. Come on back and join us right after the break. Concord Matters is a production of KFUO Radio. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere, since 1924. Text the letters KFUO to 41444 to join the legacy with your tax-deductible gift. Curious about an active retirement in a Christ-centered community in Central Florida? Lutheran Haven's brand new residence, The Landings, offers spacious villa-style homes, convenient amenities, coupled with a low-maintenance lifestyle that makes for an ideal retirement. With more than 50% of the community already sold, now is the time to discover why so many have made the decision to call The Landings at Lutheran Haven Home. Call 888-298-5590 or visit lutheranhaven.org slash KFUO to discover how you you can get the most out of your retirement at Lutheran Haven. According to Holy Scripture, Jesus will be letting into heaven those on the day of judgment who have no spot or blemish. But the vast majority, if not all human beings since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, have spots and blemishes. We'll talk about this on Insight Wednesday. Listen to Law & Gospel weekday mornings beginning at 9.30 on KFUO. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. 
KFUO is faithful to the Word of God. Listen daily to KFUO as we focus on salvation through Christ Jesus. Generations have heard KFUO proclaim the good news through our talk programs, music programs, and worship services. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. KFUO, faithful, scriptural, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. We are the messenger of good news, KFUO. At sunset, Jews around the world will begin the celebration of the Festival of Lights, known as Hanukkah. It's a commemoration of the rededication of the temple during the 2nd century B.C., when Jews defeated the armies of the Maccabean Revolt. The nightly lighting of the menorah is a significant part of the holiday. In the modern menorah, there are nine candle holders. The center flame is used to light each of the other eight during the eight-day celebration. And each day, sections of Numbers 7-1 through 8-4 is read from the Torah. And families recite the Hallel, the praise and gratitude-themed Psalms 113 through 118. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Engage with the Bible in its impact over the centuries. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Concord Matters with our cohort of Christ-confessing Concordians, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Is that Mr. a break? Was that a break we went to? Is that what happened? Thank we're, goodness. We're coming yeah. back from break. Oh, oh, oh okay. can, can I just finish talking? I mean, you just torpedo everything. I, every time I, was, I try. It was ill that torpedoed you. I was trying Ill to make fun of you. I didn't even yet. get that, so all that you he's do, on the show dear yet. Dear listeners, welcome I'm still back. Going we're back. Matters. 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 We have I'm been Mr. on break. We are coming back from break. And we are here. Hopefully, we're going to be what, talking about what, apology maybe. of the Augsburg Confession. Maybe. Pastor Peter Slade. We got Pastor Peter Ill, right. Pastor Sean Smith, our host, and Pastor Jonathan Fisk. I thought that was a perfect softball for you to turn and mock Ill as you introduced him. Okay. Like you had the, it was there. It doesn't take effort, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the church is often oppressed. Yes. And, and we were just talking about that before the break. Yes. See how sanctified I'm trying to you be are. here? Yes. I'm um, so lost we, in what you're doing. We prayed a beautiful prayer before we went on show today. And uh, I'd just like to talk about the church because this this is good. Anyway, uh, to, to bring us back now, that, that was a good side side uh, fun we had here. We have a lot of fun here in studio. We're, <laughs> sometimes we're, we're good too friends. much. Probably yeah, too much. Sometimes too much. <laughs> the producer's um, looking through the glass but, with, a, yeah. with a terrible Uh-oh. look on her face. Yeah, My first trouble. grade teacher used to look at me like that. <laughs> <laughs> but but we do talk about serious matters, and I do, do think that this is a serious matter. So it I is. would like to talk okay. about it, if, if that's okay with, with you Let's. guys. All right, great, because I'm the host, and I'm going to make us do it. So what we were talking about before the break about how, you know, and, and I use the phrase that, you know, at times it, it may look like the outward fellowship of the church is failing. Um, and we talked a little bit about that, and, and I think you had an excellent point there that, Obviously, in, in the true sense, the church does not fail when it's oriented around God's word and sacraments. Mm. Um, but uh, we we do have this tension that in that outward fellowship, you know, if you use the parable of Jesus with the uh, the tares among the wheat and things like that, that we we have wicked people in that as a part of that outward fellowship, and, and we're certainly you know uh, oppressed in these things, and and that's really where we pick up in the apology of the Augsburg Confession today is talking about how do we how do we handle this reality. That in that outward fellowship, there are wicked folks mixed in there. So if it's all right, I'm going to go ahead and push forward, read some section here. We're beginning with paragraph. Don't let Peter Ill distract you. 
Right. We're, we're on paragraph nine of uh, articles seven and eight of the church in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession using the Concordia Reader's Edition published by CPH. And this is what it says. This article has been presented for a necessary reason. We see the infinite dangers that threaten the destruction of the church. See, I wasn't way out of line there, right? Threaten these things. Okay. So, in the church itself, the number of the wicked who oppress it is too high to count. Therefore, this article in the Creed shows us these consolations in order that we may not despair, but may know that the church will remain until the end of the world. No matter how great the multitude of the wicked is, we may know that the church still exists and Christ provides those gifts he has promised to the church to forgive sins, to hear prayer, to give the Holy Spirit. It says church Catholic in order that we may not understand the church to be an outward government of certain nations. Rather, the church is people scattered throughout the whole world. They agree about the gospel and have the same Christ, the same Holy Spirit, and the same sacraments whether they have the same or different human traditions. The explanation appearing in the decrees says, the church in its wide sense embraces good and evil. Likewise, it says that the wicked are in the church only in name, not in fact. The good are in the church both in fact and in name. To this effect, there are many passages in the fathers. For Jerome says, the sinner, therefore, who has been soiled with any blotch cannot be called a member of Christ's church. Neither can he be said to be subject to Christ. I'm going to pause there. Go ahead, brothers, jump in, reflect on what this was just saying. Well, it reminds me of a conversation that I had uh, many years ago, probably before I was really a Lutheran, although I was in a Lutheran church at the time, but we were going through uh, a study on the book of Revelation. And one of the individuals uh, in, in the congregation, one of my one of my friends, was very, very worried about what would happen to to Christianity in our in our country. Um, particularly in light of Revelation, the, the, he he came from the premillennial dispensational view, which you know, looking for the seven years of tribulation and persecution of the church and all the specific things associated with that, and he was really really bothered. And I remember walking out with him, and I and I said, you know, um, Carl, I had a thought while you were talking that even if every single Bible was taken from us and every single thing was destroyed, the church is something that that God establishes. And so you can remove all of this. And if he wants it to continue, he'll find a way to make it continue because it's his church. And I think it was probably the first time I had had that thought. And Carl was like, I've never thought about that. Mm. I was like, I hadn't really either, but I think he's like, thank you. That's very helpful. And that's kind of what they're saying here. This, all of this, everything, all these trappings, these buildings, our ability to freely gather together as Christians. We may have to go underground, but uh, in all of this, the church will remain because it's God who establishes it. And to piggyback on that, I think that one of the really important distinctions that this article makes is that sometimes the things that threaten the church the people that threaten the church sometimes are within the church. Yeah. Um, in a church full of sinners, in a church that is collected together where the kingdom of God is like tares and uh, wheat and tares or weeds together, we experience this where the church on its external view isn't always a bed of roses. And there is conflict and disagreement in the church. And this is where we remember what Paul says. It's good that there is disagreement among you so that we can see who is genuine. Um, 
that's not to say that we like churches that fight, for the record. <laughs> um, but Or that we tolerate heretics among us. Or, or that we tolerate because. heretics among us just because. But rather, we continue to go to church and contend for the truth as we pray, praise, and give thanks, as we receive the absolution and the forgiveness of sins, as we receive the Lord's Supper, as we celebrate the baptism that Christ brings for us, we continue to be genuine one with another and to boldly confess that truth, not just to people outside the church, but sometimes it's the people inside the church who need to hear the gospel. And so that work of evangelization, of speaking the gospel happens outside the church and inside the church. It does make me think of uh, the, the a way that people often talk about mission today is in fear of the church closing. Right. So it's like the numbers aren't what they should be. This is terrifying. We need more mission. Now, I'm all for the mission of the church. It's why I do radio, right? It's because I believe that we need to get this word out there. But a mission that's driven based on fear or the belief that it is up to us to build or save the church is not Christ's actual mission, as opposed to a mission that comes from what you guys have both been confessing very clearly and what it, what it says here again, you know, that, that uh, from the belief that the church will remain forever, this is a mission not based on fear, but on, on hope. One of the, my favorite things that the Bible says that I've ever learned, I come back to it again and again and again, it's Herman Sasa that pointed me to it, is what Jesus, when he just says a couple little words, I will build my church. To me as a pastor and as a Christian and as an American Christian, that truth, that promise is so comforting to me that no matter what we see going on, Jesus is going to build his church. Thank God, right? You know, be still and wait on the Lord, right? Know that he is God. It doesn't mean don't do mission, but it means don't do mission thinking it's up to you to do the mission. Because you're going to fail a lot at it too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but it, but it is Christ that builds the church and, it, and it's connected with another great promise of Jesus that brings me a lot of hope and comfort connected in with that too. And it comes in the confession of Peter, of Jesus as the Christ. Hmm. And he says, you are a rock man and upon this rock... I will build my church, right? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right. That, that is a great comfort to know that not even hell can destroy the church. And even if I, if I should fall into grievous sin as a pastor, as a leader in the church, and, and I, I could be capable of this. I pray every single day yeah, that I don't, but I could just utterly destroy a congregation, a visible means yeah. of that. Yeah. Um, but not even I, Sean Smith, as powerful and awesome as I might be, right? Uh, not even I can destroy the church, mm. right? And and I say that kind of tug in cheek, but the reality is, is that it, it is also a great comfort to know that even in my weakness, or if if I really think that it's up to me um, to 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 build the church through my actions, through the programs that we present, things like that. I can't build it. I can't destroy oh, it. I mean, God, God help us. We're as likely to destroy it by trying to build it exactly. as we are by falling into grievous sin. And that can happen too. Right. But our efforts to try to make the church based on something other than what Jesus is doing on his own can only become idolatry like we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very easily uh, idolatry, which is what we do. I mean, we're such idol factories as, as people. So. The, the idolatry is in the statement itself. I'm building the church. Yeah. It's just, right, it's right yeah. there on the face. What are you doing to build Christ's church? Uh, hopefully nothing. <laughs>
Yeah, that's right. That's right. Receiving. I mean, yeah. you know, put it in some passive tense, but otherwise, it's nothing. He. That's just it. He's he's the actor. He's the author. Yep. I, I think one of the other key points in here too that that we should bring out too. It, it talks about you know in line ten there, paragraph ten. It says church Catholic in order that we may not understand the church to be an outward government of certain nations, rather the church is people scattered throughout the whole world. They agree about the gospel and have the same Christ, the same Holy Spirit, and the same sacraments, whether they have the same or different human traditions. There, I, I you know Catholic there being the Latin for universal, and I I. Personally, I have the personal preference that when I speak the creeds, I say that like one holy Catholic church, right? Because I like this reminder of the university out. Universal. Universal. Wow. Universal. Yes. Yes. My it. tongue just got tied up in nuts. Yes, universality. <laughs> I just can't I'd skip the word and move I'd on. Say it. The cat got your tongue. Universalness. Catholicity. Catholicity. Let's go with that one. <laughs> wow. Of All the right. church, right? Um, that it is indeed uh, oriented around these things that that Christ has defined is His church, the true word and sacraments, right? And uh, and and that gives us a lot of comfort too. That you know, and it'll talk later about how we practice church discipline when it comes to these wicked folks. It'll talk later about uh, you know not you know uh, allowing heretics and so forth to to come in and 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 do their uh, work of evil either. But when we recognize that there are differences, especially in denominations and so forth, that where we are oriented around the real Christ as and, and his body in that pure word and sacraments, then that is the true church and that unites us in, in a very beautiful way. The end of that paragraph, or excuse me, that sentence that you pointed out uh, is a section that I think a lot of people zoom in as on as well to try to excuse the ability to do whatever they want. So, you know, that we have all of these things, the gospel, the same Christ, the same spirit, the same sacraments, whether or not we have different human traditions. And this is true. This is absolutely true that human traditions do not make the church, but they're not saying that human traditions are not valuable or are not part of uh, what we have to do to gather. So think, for example, the the time of your service at your local congregation, that's a human tradition. And as much as you can meet at your church at 9 a.m. or you can meet at your church at 10 a.m., you got to pick a time and you pretty much need to stick with it. And it's important that you have a tradition on that matter, right? So this isn't saying that human traditions have no use. What it's saying is that they are not the final uh, the final unification. They're not the things that make us church. But key here too is by, by calling them human traditions, it's recognizing that there are traditions that make us church. Word and sacrament are Jesus traditions. And we don't get to throw those away. They're good things. We want to pass them from one generation to the next. Yeah, there are non-human traditions yeah. that are involved here that actually do need to... Yeah. Remain and stay as a part of it. Yeah. yeah. Scripture. I mean, yep. Scripture itself, the reading of Scripture is one of them. Yep. And the sacraments. <laughs> For the record. <laughs> I almost, I almost went to LeBron's there, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the sacraments are very huge in, in how we... Uh, associate this. And this does make a big distinction between us and other denominations. I mean, there are some that don't even have sacraments. They call them ordinances, right? They simply do them by the command of Christ instead of recognizing that they do something for you. And so we do have to contend for these things uh, because they are the the true church there. But then, yeah, that that, uh, additional uh, 
matter of these these other human traditions that have their place certainly for the sake of good order and we uh, can certainly have a whole host of conversations and they will later in the apology and they already did in the Augsburg Confession talk about the place of those traditions yeah. but here they're just simply trying to identify what is the nature of the church and I guess this is maybe a helpful point here too to, to maybe talk a little bit about why is this such an issue for the reformers why why is this an issue of contention for for um, Rome and and the Lutherans here and Pastor L, I think you mentioned just a little bit about this last week um, do you want to pick this up again this week his eyes say no I just caught Pastor L by what? surprise yes deer and, in the headlights yeah. yes what was I talking about last week Pastor Smith well you were talking <laughs> You were talking about uh, where where well, I don't remember what you talked about last week. Maybe I call my best. No, you and me both. Uh, no, you were you were talking about how uh, it, it was a matter of identification and and what they were identifying as the church. And and I guess what what I would go with here is is that for for Rome, they're clearly caught up in the identification of the institution of the church, right? And uh, I mean, we just generally even know this still today that, I mean, even as you take a look at the Roman Catholic Church today, we can definitely talk about the institution of it. I I have a post-it note here on that exact thing right there on line 10 where the sentence, it says, Church Catholic, in order that we may not understand the church to be an outward government of certain nations. My post-it note, I've got that underlined and I say, shots fired at Rome. Yeah, right. right. Oh man, that's, they're, they're pointing straight at Rome on that one who was emphasizing if you are not a member of one of our congregations, you are not in the church well, to, at all. To be to be slightly inflammatory and, and ask the the kind understanding of those papists who are listening to our show, to call yourself Roman Catholic is an oxymoron, right? Catholic means universal, embracing all. Roman means only under the seat of Rome or only coming from the Vatican. So to, to be Roman Catholic is frankly an impossibility. You must be one or the other. And our whole contest against them, contest against them, is to say you're not Catholic anymore. You become strictly Romanist. You become strictly subject to the Pope and that's it. But this is not something that uh, we as Lutherans are immune from. We are drawn... No, because once you become a German, then you're then you're a Christian. Uh, Oh, oh, German Lutheran, German Lutheran, German Lutheran. Or no, you can be Norwegian too. Uh, it, well, right, right, sort of. I, I know a couple I'm, Italian I mean, I'm Lutherans. I'm getting at what you're talking about. I'm getting at what you're uh, talking about, right? Not exactly. Oh, okay, then go a different uh, direction. I, the different direction I was going to go with <laughs> is uh, here in North America, we have a little bit more of a business-minded center, and so we think more about the church incorporated hmm. more than we hmm. think about the church. As a nation. And so, whereas here in the Confessions it says no nation is going to save you, here I think in the North American context we need to say no church bureaucracy, no church polity or system of government, no... no kind of external church order is going to save you. Uh, every once in a while, I'll be in a meeting at church and somebody will say, well, why doesn't the Missouri Synod just speak to that? At which point, I laugh. Why don't we have bishops? Uh, well... Or that too, because that's that a too? different issue. Yeah, uh, that's a different issue. Germans were German and Norwegian bishops. We had yeah. a bishop; it didn't go so well for us. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. But that's right. the point. Right. You're play- both of those are placing their trust in the institution in some exactly. form, whether it's for the the institution speaking to the issue or having an individual who is the authority that can speak to the issue. Exactly, and so we 
see this in terms of a nation where uh, a certain political authority under the papacy was trying to say this is how the church has to work or where we put all of our eggs into the uh, corporate basket and say why doesn't the church body speak to this and the fact is christ speaks Christ speaks in his word, he speaks in his sacraments, and so we listen to Christ. The church does not save us. The church is the body of Christ, not the means of salvation. Yeah. Put not your trust in Robert's rules. Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying, but that is so going to get me in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, but you know what? If you're going to elevate it to the level of salvific and that the church can't be the church without it, you're denying the church existed before the 1800s. I mean, it's just, you, you can't say that. Robert's rules may be a good way to handle a meeting. We can b- debate that somewhere else, but it does not make church church. Piece of trivia that I learned last weekend, in all seriousness, Robert's rules came out of a disgruntled church meeting. Really? Dead serious. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Where they had Mind to like, they blown. had to like work on fighting with each other and they had to put it all in order so that they would, could handle the fight. Their their rule oh gosh, we're going sidetracked here, but they're they're designed to make people who don't like each other have to get something done very slowly. Basically. It's also do. designed for men operating in meetings. Oh. This is just factual history, oh. not not mixed fellowship men and women together too. Yeah. Just, is that because I, it's a, that's I don't know what that means? Yes. I, men men operate in in a meeting differently than when you have mixed fellowship. But gotcha. again, this is a whole nother uh, conversation. But that historically is when Robert's Rules of Order would have been developed is when only men were were in church meetings. In yeah. these meetings, okay. right? Why do you have chocolate mice? <laughs> <laughs> Because I have a that mouse problem awesome in Wine Hill. Dear, I love you radio. We have now hit a brand <laughs> yeah. new low. Our producer's yeah. glaring at us Squirrel. again. We were doing so well. Yeah. But I... I think this is an excellent point that Pastor O was making about the institution of the church, and we certainly have that. I, I, I think another point that perhaps maybe you were going at there was kind of our cultural issue, that sometimes we we look at it as, uh, you know, just purely, you know, this is what my family has been a part of for five generations or something like that. And so, you know, yeah, that's why I'm a Lutheran. Or how much of the Reformation was, hey, let's celebrate German cultural history. Right, exactly. Because that's what it means to be Lutheran. Yeah, and so I I think this this takes us into potentially things that are a little off a, a topic here, but I think are the danger of that, that when you start to look at them as a cultural aspect, which certainly Rome does um, a good bit as well, or the institutional aspect or things like that, then I'm, I'm wrapped up in all of these other things that once again are not the true church. Hmm. And so one of the things that I've, I've kind of learned to do in my ministry to combat this is I just openly tell folks, and it's tough for me serving two very old congregations that have a lot of wonderful, faithful folks in it and so forth, but uh, I recognize the fact that a lot of them have are there because their family has been there for five generations. But I step in there, kind of young gung-ho guy that I am, and I say, I give you the freedom to not be Lutheran. All right? <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, like, you, your, your salvation is not at stake by being a member of this church. All right? But I want you here because we're oriented around those primary marks of the church. You believe that here the true word is preach. You believe that here the unadulterated sacraments are given for you to strengthen your faith all the way into life everlasting. And I'm very intentional in the way that I teach and that I preach oriented around those things so that we're, we're orienting our church around the true church. And, and because 
the, the danger, I think, to the other side is that when we make it a cultural issue or even an institutional issue or so, something like that, then we forget the universal. Univer- I cannot nope, say that word. Not going to happen the today. The Catholicity of the church um, um, being universal. And so then we start to make other, you know, connections with, oh, well, yeah, you know, they're, they're of a different denomination, but they're still Christian, right? You know, it, we kind of have to comfort ourselves rather than wrestling with the difficult issues of what is it to be the true church? And yes, they, they will call them Christian brothers and sisters, but is the true church really being played out there? You know, if they're, they're a part of that denomination that denies the truth of God's word yeah. or doesn't practice the sacraments. I mean, you have members of the church the there, church? and in that sense, they are the church, right. but then are, is there gathering truly yeah. church, right? Yeah. And that, that's the gray, fuzzy little line there. Ill, Ill wants to talk. I saw you. You want to talk, and we're not going to let you off the hook. Talk. Okay, I'll talk. Um, I. It, it is really a troubling thing a lot of times when you get that question of, but they are still brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And and they are, but we continue to, and this is where we can talk a little bit about um, ecumenism or church fellowship issues, mm. as we as we say, yeah, they are church, but. We continue to boldly speak to those within our church body, to those in other church bodies, to those outside any church body, uh, saying, here is the true word of Christ. Um, As Paul was speaking to the Corinthians, he said, sorry, not the Corinthians, the Galatians, he said, I can't believe how quickly Satan has bewitched you guys Mm -hmm. or that you have been bewitched and led into a different gospel. And we continue to say, uh, even Paul says, if we come back and give you a different gospel, if an angel gives you a different gospel than the one that we presented to you, let them be anathema. Let them be cursed. Throw them out right away, even if it's an angel from heaven, because this gospel is that significant that you need to cling to it. And that is our kind of ecumenism, our kind of church fellowship issue, where we say, this is the gospel of Christ. Here comes Jesus with his body and blood. Here comes Jesus baptizing you for the forgiveness of sins and regeneration and new life in this living water. Here comes Christ speaking into the into your ears the truth of forgiveness, and you are set free indeed by Jesus. If you want to believe differently about that, we can't stop you. But this is the gospel, and we will continue to proclaim it to you as often and as loudly as we can. And that's exactly what we do. And you thought you didn't have anything to say. See, it was great. Uh, well, and I think he 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 made a rather brilliant move there. Uh, accidentally, but I, yes, yeah. he did. <laughs> he makes a lot of accidentally brilliant moves. Yeah, but uh, but 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 it, it is an actual really good point that we want to emphasize here that when we are confessing the church. What we're ultimately doing is confessing Christ, Bingo. which brings us back to where we yeah. started, that this is his body. Yep. Uh, the only thought I had was, it might be a little bit graphic, but the reason we can say other Christian church bodies are do include Christians is the same way we can say somebody who may be missing a limb is still human. You're, you're not human by virtue of not having an arm. Um, you're not a non-Christian by virtue of denying the sacraments, if you still have the gospel coming to you, that is still Christ coming to you in in word and preaching that gospel that is saving you. Um, But we don't want to leave you there. I mean, if I see my Christian brother who who is missing a limb, I want to say, hey, you don't have to miss that limb. 
you you can actually have all of it and and Christ wants you to have all of it and he comes to you and brings those gifts to you so that you can be whole let's let's talk about that Pastor Fisk any parting thoughts from you today I had one and then I lost it. Uh, uh, it had to do with... It's in the Christmas card you were signing? Yeah. Oh, it had to be this idea. So, so the Missouri Synod, we believe firmly that we are church. That we, when we gather as congregations, we are congregations that are the true church. We do not believe that the true church stops with the Missouri Synod. We also believe that the church is scattered throughout the world in, in all denominations which have the word and the sacraments in their midst. And and we confess that. And, and ecumenism, the, the bringing together of that, can only occur around those things which we believe make us church. And so if we're wrong, we want people to show us from the scriptures that we're wrong. Otherwise, we're going to try to show them where they're wrong so we can gather around the right things, the actual traditions of Jesus. And I think that in one in one sense, is it's a tremendously charitable position in that we, we allow for heterodoxy to still be church, whereas, uh, I, yeah, I can't close that well with that much time. Like, make Sean do it. <laughs> well, I think, I think you make a great point there, that when we gather around the traditions that Jesus gave us, what we're actually doing is gathering around Christ himself. Yes. It's his body. It's his church. And so from that standpoint, we're going to continue to confess the church because it confesses Christ all the way until he comes again. And so with that today, it's been great with this cohort of Christ confessing Concordians to gather around and confess the church in Article 7 and 8 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession today. Church, thank you for stopping by. And until next time, keep confessing church. Church.